Welcome to Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the challenges and opportunities facing the global food supply chain and speak with experts working to support a planet of plenty. Hello, I'm Michelle Michael. In this special series of Ag Future, we're talking with those working along the food supply chain about the impact of COVID-19. My guest today is Ken Zuckerberg. Ken is the lead analyst and senior economist in CoBank's Knowledge Exchange Division, where he focuses on grains, oil seeds, farm supply, and biofuel. That that translates to me that, well, you're a numbers guy. Is that right, Ken? Correct, although not simply just a numbers guy. Part of the uh, interesting part of the job is, is going through the numbers uh, and then triangulating with market information to understand really where we are, uh, where we're going, and what the marketplace may be missing. So in, in your role, you look at data, you look at patterns, you look at trends and economic activity, and, and you use those predictions to improve business decisions in agriculture. And, and also just some background on uh, CoBank. CoBank is one of the largest private providers of credit to the U.S. rural economy. The company is located in Colorado and delivers loans, leases, and other financial services to agribusinesses in, in all 50 states. Is that right, Ken? Uh, generally, that's uh, spot on, and we uh, operate within the uh, uh, farm credit system, which, uh, as you know, is the largest lender to agriculture in rural America in the United States. Can COVID-19's global spread may continue to impact supply chains and the availability of certain crops, which also uh, potentially affecting commodity prices and farmers' planning decisions. How do you look at the risk of COVID-19 from a very high level? Thank you for asking that to begin with. Uh, Strictly speaking, there are five broad categories of risk facing every economic sector in every region of the world. Uh, These categories are, can be thought of as economic risk, environmental risk, geopolitical risk, societal risk, and technological risk. Uh, Coronavirus falls strictly under the societal risk bucket given that it's an infectious disease. However, the dynamics of treating it and what we've seen in terms of the resulting job losses and massive contraction in economic activity, that actually puts uh, coronavirus into two buckets, both the economic and the societal. So it lies at the intersection of those two, and there are sort of broad ramifications for uh, not delaying this uh, quickly. The longer it goes on, the more uncertainty there is, the more uncertainty, the greater the economic damage. And then because of those, if that scenario unfolds, the longer and harder it is to sort of get back to what people hope to be back to normal. And Ken, how does COVID-19 impact uh, the food and agriculture sector? So let me start with the uh, uh, labor and supply chains. Uh, we've gotten a lot of questions about both recently, and I think it's worth addressing to begin with. Specialty crops are labor-intensive, and in places like California, often dependent on non-citizens working in the U.S. either during the season or on a temporary uh, basis. Hence, closing borders and limiting temporary work passes to contain the virus spread obviously would be negative. Partially offsetting this, people are losing their jobs in other sectors, such as the restaurant and hospitality industries, and those could theoretically uh, come to work for agriculture, in agriculture, although uh, that that remains to be seen. 
Another issue, of course, is employees that uh, potentially get sick, that work in food processing plants, grocery stores, and uh, restaurant takeout or delivery. Uh, these are some of the issues from a labor standpoint we're monitoring closely. On supply chains, it's a bit of a mixed bag for now, but we're watching closely to see if things change in the future. In a recent report uh, about the spring 2020 planting season, uh, I argue that ag retailers in the U.S. have adequate supplies of crop inputs to deliver to customers this season. So from a farm input supply chain perspective, we're not so concerned. We don't think it's a near-term risk. It is clear, though, that uh, given the amount of imported fertilizers, chemicals, and feed ingredients uh, made in China and brought to the U.S., the longer this goes on, the bigger that risk could be down the line. But we view that as a forward risk rather than a, a, a current one. Uh, a more concerning matter with respect to supply chains in the U.S. is truck drivers and truckers and uh, transporters dealing with a splintered delivery networks and an upsurge in retail demand as consumers start buying more food at grocery stores and away from restaurants. Uh, the surge in, in that area is sort of causing uh, bottlenecks in other uh, delivery channels. So again, we are monitoring this uh, for agriculture, production ag. We don't see a risk uh, too bad of a risk in the near term, but the situation is very dynamic. Of course, uh, facing uncertainty in a volatile industry is nothing novel at all for the American agriculture industry. Farmers are very hardy. They're full of perseverance and innovative thinking. Will farmers and producers rise to the occasion, or will this time be different? What are the critical factors at play today versus what you expected as you headed into 2020? I agree with you about your assertion for the uh, American farmer. Uh, he and she do not go down easily. <laughs> so I have confidence that, uh, generally speaking, production agriculture will rise to the occasion. However, there are a few critical factors um, and variables that the industry has to deal with that, quite candidly, they probably haven't dealt with uh ever before, even during the Great Depression. The continued economic and uncertainty and volatility in markets, shipping networks, uh, shipping networks, supply chains overseas, and uh, the shocks to demand, these are going to be negative issues for agriculture exports in the very near term. Another pressure is um, uh, given the high levels of global financial market upheaval, the more this goes on, the more that foreign investors tend to drive into U.S. dollar-denominated assets, meaning the dollar. The stronger the dollar, the more expensive our products are for overseas buyers, and obviously that would be a, a negative. The greater strength in the dollar uh, the more pressure on how competitive ag exports are relative to other uh, major production regions. One of the challenges crop producers were facing before this pandemic was uh, global trade wars that were occurring, particularly with China. What has changed since COVID-19? In one sense, the entire world has changed with COVID-19. And obviously, the critical question that we're all asking ourselves are, can things return to normal or alternatively a new normal? And what will 
domestic and export demand look like for ag products when we get there? Right now, it's too early to make a broad call on any of that. That being said, uh, U.S. agriculture has a reputation for very high quality, and recently we've seen an uptick in demand for certain crops, such as wheat. Um, here in the U.S., we have adequate stocks, high quality, and attractive prices. China has been a buyer there, and they've also been buying soybeans and pork. Last week, in fact, was a record for U.S. pork exports to China. So the world has changed. There have been demand shocks, market shocks, economic shocks since both COVID and the Saudi Arabia price, uh, Russia price oil uh, price war has has broken out. However, um, we do see agriculture as a go-to sector, and as people commonly say, you'll always have to eat. So it does tend to be resilient, even when the other parts of the economy are in trouble. Farmers are, of course, used to sacrifice, but when it comes to financial stability, what exactly are farmers facing today in the midst of COVID-19? I think it's important to step back a minute and discuss what was the situation prior to the current uh, crisis. Before that, crop farming had already uh, entered the seventh or eighth year of a, a difficult pricing cycle. Uh, when we combine both crop and livestock farming together, the industry revenues actually have been flat with uh, the 2011 level. However, production expenses continue to rise. So the industry on, in total has been operating under you know, profit pressure. Another negative is that working capital has been declining while debt has been increasing to record levels. Debt to net cash income is also very high for the industry on a consolidated basis. And while reported numbers show that net farming income rose in 2019, it did so only because of substantial government payments. Backing that out, income was actually down. So the bottom line is that farming in general has been um, uh, under uh, some pressure, and there is a massive divide between profitable and unprofitable farmers. Uh, the weaker ones, unfortunately, will have limited flexibility to play through the current crisis, and they ultimately uh, may be forced to sell, exit, or consolidate operations. We saw an uptick in financial restructurings for U.S. farms in 2019, and unfortunately, we think this could continue in 2020. Are farmers even able to prepare for something like this? This is um, unprecedented, of course. So COVID-19 is unique in that regardless of income level, industry, expertise, or uh, 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 desire, very few uh, business people in general were uh, you know, adequately prepared for this. I think the characteristics that allow uh, a U.S. farmer to manage through here come down to, A, are you, uh, are you a low-cost operator? Do you have command of the variable inputs that uh, are required to produce uh, your crop? Um, or are you, uh, and or are you overextended? So the more financially conservative a farmer is, 
the greater he or she has the ability to uh, uh, operate uh, you know, beyond the current season. Let's talk about trends for a moment, since that's definitely your expertise. What short-term trends are we going to see in agriculture as related to COVID-19? Let's, uh, let's uh, uh, at the risk of observing the obvious, how consumers are purchasing food and what they are buying has clearly changed since the onslaught of uh, COVID-19. We obviously first saw bulk purchases of Clorox products, hand sanitizers, toilet paper, and canned goods. Now a shift is happening that's more uh, substantial away from sit-down restaurants, many of which are closed in areas that uh, have shelter-in-place restrictions. And the shift has gone towards buying food from supermarkets and other food retailers, including mail order, home delivery, and food deliveries. So. Those are some of the short-term trends and observations we've seen that are likely to continue uh, while, as long as this uh, crisis is underway. Can we in any way predict the longer-term effects from this pandemic? It's very difficult. What I think is fascinating is that um, uh, to the extent one observed a few years ago, that the some of the higher growth categories in in food were uh, purchases of food either through fast casual or or um, specialty restaurants that was in some ways cannibalizing uh, sales at the uh, supermarket. Now the supermarket is uh, is the go to place uh, with lines out the door and oftentimes limits of people uh, you know going in. I think purchases of food for home consumption will probably continue at a greater uh, level than had been during previous shocks. And part of the issue there is if people are genuinely concerned about being around other people that may um, uh, get them sick, uh, I think there's likelihood that at least this dynamic will continue for a while. Predicting long-term trends is inherently um, uh, complicated. What I, you know, fundamentally feel is that this too will eventually pass. Uh, I think the uh, the business and the industrial case for uh, food service out of the home will continue, but getting back to the same level of consumption out of the house hard to determine when that's going to take place. Of course, uh, many, many people are under stay-at-home orders. Social distancing has pretty much everybody stuck inside their own home at a time when gasoline prices are way down. What is the impact of the recent drop in gasoline prices on agricultural production? So there's two sides to that coin. The first one is that you're correct uh, in, in uh, uh, that fuel and energy costs, that fuel and energy are important inputs and costly ones in agricultural production. So the drop in gas prices, all else being equal, are very positive operationally. However, the demand shock and the price decline in gasoline prices has carried over to the ethanol industry to the point where the operating, the dynamics of operating an ethanol plant with margins under pressure because of uh, 
uh, current price and demand dynamics uh, is extraordinary. So unfortunately, it's uh, the recent drop in, in gasoline prices is a mixed bag, and the focus now is on what the ethanol industry can and will be able to do to uh, reposition itself to survive this uh, this downturn. It's hard to think about opportunity in the middle of a crisis, but if that's at all possible, what opportunities might you see coming from this? I think there are opportunities, and uh, a crisis and, and chaos always gives innovative people an opportunity to uh, capture and deliver value. This time will be no different. Here's a few ideas about potential opportunities. So unexpectedly, wheat is seeing a surge in demand with the uh, hoarding, if you will, of shelf-stable food uh, at the supermarket. While this may only be temporary, it's interesting. Uh, so wheat is, uh, is seeing a little bit of opportunity. Labor shortages could help accelerate adoption of farm robots uh, to handle spraying and picking of fruit crops. We have a number of companies that are already operating in that space, and, and that could be an interesting place to, uh, to be going forward. Increased demand for food and grocery deliveries may also be uh, the saving grace for certain meal kit and online uh, food platform uh, delivery companies. And finally, look, a renaissance in home-prepared meals and gourmet cooking might lead to increased buying of fancy pots, pans, and kitchen accessories. So in some ways, uh, you know, we, we see uh, dollars shifting to the, uh, to the Kroger's of the world, as well as the Amazon's of the world, as well as some of the Blue Apron and others. Um, but who knows, maybe, uh, uh, you know, the, the fancy home uh, houseware companies could also see a pickup here uh, post uh, during or post-crisis. Ken, how do you envision market segments? What I mean is uh, restaurants are shutting down, but grocery stores are staying open. How do you envision market segments dictating supply chain moving forward? Much as we had discussed before, it's very hard to know whether this will be a temporary bull market in grocery stores relative to restaurants. How long that will last? Will it be permanent or there will be a shift? Very hard to uh uh, estimate that. That being said, I think there will undoubtedly be uh, either stresses or disruptions related to packaging, shipping, and delivery, but also the product mix. Uh, for example, people that pay $50 for a New York strip steak in a restaurant may or may not be willing to pay a premium at the supermarket. I'm actually not sure. I think uh, uh, the likelihood is that they won't. There's other product uh, categories that uh, also face similar dynamics uh, with more people eating at home. Uh, there's a, a greater need for a variety of consumer staple foods. So to the extent that that will be in demand, that will ultimately shift priorities both in production and distribution. American farmers provide a commodity that uh, consumers will always need, so it's important to remember that the bottleneck in supply and demand is really only a temporary obstacle as health officials everywhere focus on containing the coronavirus outbreak. At the end of the day, Ken, what is your biggest concern at this time? So my biggest concern is that we see globally interconnected markets that are, at the end of the day, 
very sensitive to confidence. The good news about food and agriculture, ag production, is that this industry can be oftentimes countercyclical. When the broad economy is under pressure, uh, food and agriculture can be a steady staple. Um, as we said before, you have to eat, right? The risk is the longer we go through a period where there's uncertainty, the greater the structural changes are in demand and um, and how to uh, you know rectify that. So the bigger risk for me is time. The longer this uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, crisis uh, goes out, the longer the economic uncertainty. Ken Zuckerberg, Senior Economist from CoBank, thank you so much for joining us today. Wonderful to be with you. For additional resources on COVID-19, visit alltech.com. This has been Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts.